Chapter Six of the Gorilla Hunters by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adolfo Pignoroles. Chapter Six: Dreaming and Feeding and Bloody Work Enlarged Upon. The first object of which my senses became cognizant on waking next morning was my friend Peterkin, who had evidently awakened just a moment or two before me, for he was in the act of yawning and rubbing his eyes i have all my life been a student of character and the most interesting yet inexplicable character which i have ever studied has been that of my friend peterkin whose eccentricities i have never been able to fully understand or account for i have observed that on first waking in the mornings he has been wont to exhibit several of his most eccentric and peculiar traits so i resolved to feign myself asleep and watch him hey ho he exclaimed after the yawn i have just referred to having said this he stretched out both arms to the utmost above his head, and then flung himself back at full length on his couch, where he lay still for about half a minute. Then he started up suddenly into a sitting posture, and looked slowly from one to another of the recumbent forms around him. Satisfied, apparently, that they were asleep, he gave vent to a yawn yawn which terminated in a gasp, and then he looked contemplatively up at the sky, which was at that hour beginning to warm with the red rays of the rising sun while thus engaged he caressed with his right hand the very small scrap of whisker that grew on his right cheek at first it seemed as if this were an unconscious action but he suddenly appeared to become absorbed in it and stared straight before him as one does when only half awake mumbling the while in an undertone i could not make out distinctly what he said but i think i caught the words yes a little a very little thicker six new hairs i think umph slow very slow here he looked at Jack's bushy beard and sighed. Suddenly he thrust both hands deep into his breeches pocket and stared at the black embers of the extinct fire. Then as suddenly he pulled out his hands, and placing the forefinger of his right hand on the end of the thumb of his left, said slowly, Let me see, I'll recall it. He spoke with intense gravity. Most persons do when talking to themselves. Yes, I remember now. There were two elephants and four or three was it no it must have been four lions the biggest elephant had on a false front of fair curls and a marriage ring on his tail stay was it not the other one that had that no it was the biggest i remember now for it was just above the marriage ring i grasped it when i pulled his tail out i didn't pull it off for it wouldn't come off it came out like a telescope or a long piece of india rubber ha huh, and i remember thinking how painful it must be that was odd now to think of that the other elephant had on crinoline that was odder still for of all the animals in the world, it least required it. Well, let me see. What did I do? Oh, yes, I shot them both. Of course, that was natural. But it wasn't quite so natural that the big one should vomit up a live lion, which attacked me with incredible fury. But I killed it cleverly. Yes, it was a clever thing, undoubtedly, to split a lion in two, from the tip of its nose to the extremity of its tail, with one stroke of a penknife. At this climax I could contain myself no longer, and burst into a loud laugh, as I perceived that Peterkin had spent the night, as I myself had done, in hunting, though I confess there was considerable difference in the nature of our achievements and in the matter of their accomplishment. "'Why, what are you laughing at?' asked Jack, sitting up and gazing at me with a stupid stare. "'At Peterkin's dreams,' said I. "'Ah,' said Jack, with a smiling yawn, "'that's it, is it?' been hunting elephants and lions eh why how did you guess that i asked in surprise were you not asleep just now 
of course i was and dreaming too like yourself i make no doubt i had just bagged my fifteenth elephant and my tenth lion when your laugh awoke me and the best of it is i was carrying the whole bagful on my back at once and did not feel much oppressed by the weight that beats my dream hollow observed peterkin so it's my opinion we'd better have breakfast Makaroo, hi do you hear rouse up you chunk of ebony yes massa comin said our guide rising slowly from his lair on the opposite side of the fireplace do you hear yes massa you're a nigger that am fact well being a nigger you're a brick so look sharp with that splendid breakfast you promised us last night i'll wager a million pounds that you had forgotten all about it no massa me no forget me up in centre ob de night and put em in de hole what you call em oven ay oven that's it yes well me get em directly and i say hold on added peterkin don't you suppose i'm going to stand on ceremony with you your name's too long by half too many roo-roos about it so i'm going to call you mac in future do you understand the negro nodded and grinned from ear to ear as he left us presently he returned with a huge round or lump of meat at which we looked inquisitively the odour from it was delightful and the tender juicy appearance of the meat when makaruru who carved it for us cut the first slice was quite appetizing to behold what is it inquired peterkin elephant's food replied the guide gammon remarked peterkin it's true massa don't you see him's toe so it is said jack and it's first-rate cried i tasting a morsel with that we fell to and made a hearty meal after which we along with the king and all his people retraced our steps to the river and returned to the native town where we spent another day in making preparations to continue our journey towards the land of the gorilla during the hunt which i have just described i was very much amused as well as amazed at the reckless manner in which the negroes loaded their rusty old trade guns they put in a whole handful of powder each time and above that as much shot and bits of old iron of all kinds as they dared some i saw charged thus to within a few inches of the muzzle and the owners actually seemed afraid to put them to their shoulders as well they might be for the recoil is tremendous and had the powder been good their guns must have been blown to pieces and themselves killed on our return to the village we found the people on the eve of one of those terrible outbursts of superstitious passion which rarely if ever pass away without some wretched human creature perishing under the hands of murderers there is something wrong with the fetish man i think remarked jack as we disembarked at the landing he seems excited do you know what could him be at makaruru jack interposed peterkin i've changed his name to mac so you and ralph will please to remember that mac my boy what's wrong with your doctor the negro looked very grave and shook his head as he replied don't know massa him's going to be riz to people wid him norrible doins there will be deaths in the camp most very quick perhaps dis night that is terrible said i are you sure of what you say sartin sure replied the negro with another shake of the head then mac said jack it behooves us to look to ourselves you look like an honest fellow and i believe we may trust you we cannot expect you to help us to fight against your own kith and kin but i do expect that you will assist us to escape if any foul play is intended whatever betides it is as well that you should know that white men are not easily conquered our guns are good they never miss fire 
We will sell our lives dearly, you may depend upon it. Aye, added Peterkin. It is well that you should know that. Moreover, it is well that the rascally niggers of your tribe should know it true, so you can take occasion to give them a hint that we shall keep ourselves prepared for them, with my compliments. Demands of my people, replied the negro, with some dignity of manner, be not worse than other men's, but dem is bad enough, but you no have need for be afraid. Dey no touch de white man's, dem very much glad you come here. If anybody's be killed, it be black man's or oman's. We felt somewhat relieved on hearing this, for to say truth, we knew well enough that three men, no matter how well armed or resolute they might be, could not hope to defend themselves against a whole tribe of savages in their own country. Nevertheless, we resolved to keep a sharp lookout and be prepared for the worse. Meanwhile, we did all in our power to expedite our departure. That evening, the trader started on his return journey to the coast leaving us in charge of King Jambai, who promised earnestly to take good care of us. We immediately put his willingness to fulfill his promise to the test, by begging him to furnish us with men to carry our goods into the interior. He tried very hard to induce us to change our minds and remain hunting with his tribe, telling us that the gorilla country was far, far away from his lands, and that we should never reach it alive, or that if we did we should certainly be killed by the natives, who, besides being cruel and warlike, were cannibals and that if we did meet him with gorillas we should all certainly be slain, for no one could combat successfully with the ferocious giant of the monkey tribe. To this we replied that we were quite aware of the dangers we should have to encounter in our travels, but added that we had come there for the very purpose of encountering such dangers, and especially to pay a visit to the giant monkeys in their native land, so that it was vain in his attempting to dissuade us, as we were resolved to go. Seeing that we were immovable, the king eventually gave in, and ordered some of his best men to hold themselves in readiness to start with us on the following morning. We then proceeded to his majesty's house, where we had supper, and afterwards retired to our own hut to rest. But we were destined to have little or no rest that night. The doctor, a fetish man of the tribe, had stirred up the passions of the people in a manner that was quite incomprehensible to us. King Jambai, it seems, had been for some weeks suffering from illness, possibly from indigestion, for he was fond of gorging himself, and the medicine man had stated that his majesty was bewitched by some of the members of his own tribe, and that unless these sorcerers were slain, there was no possibility of his getting well. We could never ascertain why the fetish man should fix upon certain persons to be slain, unless it was that he had a personal enmity against them, but this seemed unlikely, for two of the persons selected were old female slaves, who could never, of course, have injured the doctor in any way. But the doings of the Africans, especially in regard to religious superstitions, I afterwards found were so mysterious that no one could or would explain the meaning of them to us. And I am inclined to believe that in reference to the meaning of many things they were themselves utterly ignorant. Towards midnight the people had wrought themselves up to a frenzied condition and made so much noise that we could not sleep. In the midst of the uproar, Makaruru, who we observed had been very restless all the evening, rushed into our hut, exclaiming, Massa, Massa, come, save my Okandanga, come quick. The poor fellow was trembling with anxiety, and was actually pale in the face, for a distinctly discernible pallor overspreads the countenance of the negro under the influence of excessive terror. Okandanga we had previously heard of and seen. She was, according to African notions, an exceedingly pretty young girl, 
with whom our worthy guide had fallen desperately in love. Makarura's education had done much for him, and especially in regard to females. Having observed the kind, respectful consideration with which the missionaries treated their wives, and the happiness that seemed to be the result of that course of conduct, he resolved in his own mind to try the experiment with one of the girls of his own tribe, and soon after rejoining it paid his attentions to Okandaga, who seemed to him the most modest and lovable girl in the village. Poor Okandaga was first amazed and then terrified at the strangely gentle conduct of her lover, and thought that he meant to bewitch her, for having never before been accustomed to other than harsh and contemptuous treatment from men, she could not believe that Makaruru meant her any good. Gradually, however, she began to like this respectful wooer, and finally she agreed to elope with him to the sea-coast and live near the missionaries. It was necessary, however, to arrange their plans with great caution. There was no difficulty in their getting married. A handsome present to the girl's father was all that was necessary to effect that end, and a good hunter like Makaruru he knew he could speedily obtain possession of his bride but to get her removed from her tribe and carried to the coast was quite a different affair. While the perplexed negro was pondering the subject and racking his brains to discover a way of getting over the difficulty, our arrival at the village occurred. At once he jumped to the conclusion that somehow or other he should accomplish his object through our assistance, and holding this in view, he the more willingly agreed to accompany us to the gorilla country, intending first to make our acquaintance, and afterwards to turn us to account in furthering his plans. All this we learned long afterwards. At the period of which I am now writing, we were profoundly ignorant of everything save the fact that Okandaga was his advanced bride, and that the poor fellow was now almost beside himself with horror, because the fetish man had condemned her, among others, to drink the poisoned cup. The drinking of the poisoned cup is an ordeal through which the unhappy victims to which suspicion has been attached are compelled to pass. Each one drinks the poison, and several executioners stand by, with heavy knives, to watch the result. If the poison acts so as to call the supposed criminal to fall down, he is hacked in pieces instantly, but if, through unusual strength or peculiarity of constitution, he is enabled to resist the effects of the poison, his life is spared, and he is declared innocent. Jack and Peterkin and I seized our weapons, and, hurrying out, followed our guide to the spot where this terrible tragedy was enacting. "'Don't fear, Mac,' said Peterkin, as we rang along. "'We'll save her some now.' I'm certain of that. The negro made no reply, but I observed a more hopeful expression on his countenance after the remark. He evidently had immense faith in Peterkin, which I must say was more than I had, for when I considered our small numbers, my hope of influencing savages was very slight. The scene that met our eyes was indescribably horrible. In the centre of a dense circle of negroes, who had wrought themselves up to a pitch of ferocity that caused them to look more like wild beasts than men, stood the king, and beside him the doctor or fetish man. This latter was ornamented with a towering headdress of feathers. His face was painted white, which had the effect of imparting to him an infinitely more hideous and ghastly effect than is produced in the white man when he is painted black. A stripe of red passed round his head, and another down his forehead and nose. His naked body was decked with sundry fantastic ornaments, and altogether he looked more like a fiend than I had believed it possible for man to appear. The ground all round him was saturated with blood and strewn with arms, fingers, cleft skulls, and mashes of flesh that had been hewn from the victims who had already fallen, one of whom, we afterwards learned, had belonged to the royal family. 
two still remained, a young female and an old man. The emaciated frame and white woolly head of the latter showed that in the course of nature his earthly career must soon terminate. It is probable that the poor old man had become a burden to his relations, and the doctor took this opportunity of ribbing the tribe of him. The girl was Okandaga, who stood weeping and trembling as she gazed upon the butchery that had already taken place. The old man had swallowed the poison shortly before we arrived, and he now was struggling to maintain an erect position. But he failed, his quivering limbs sank beneath him, and before we could interfere the bloody executioners had cut off his head, and then, in a transport of passion, they literally hacked his body to pieces. We rushed hastily forward to the king, and Jack, in an earnest voice, implored him to spare the last victim. "'Surely,' he said, "'enough had been sacrificed already. Tell him, Makaruru, that I will quit his village and never see him more, if he does not spare the life of that young girl.' The king appeared much perplexed by this unlooked-for interference on our part. "'I cannot check the spirits of my people now,' he replied. "'They are roused.' The girl has bewitched me and many others. She must die. It is our custom. Let not my white men be offended. Let them go to their hut and sleep. We cannot sleep while injustice is done in the village, answered Jack in a lofty tone. Let not King Jumbai do that which will make his visitors ashamed of him. Let the girl live till tomorrow at midnight. Let the case be investigated, and if she be proved guilty, then let her die. The king commenced in a long reply in the same dignified manner and tone which Jack had assumed. While he was thus engaged, Peterkin touched our guide on the shoulder and whispered, I say, Mac, tell the doctor to back up Jack's request, and I'll give him a gun. The negroes looked at once to the side of the doctor, who had begun to frown fiercely on Jack, and whispered a few words in his ear. Instantly his face assumed a calmer aspect, and presently he stepped up to the king, and a whispering conversation ensued, in which the doctor, carefully refraining from any mention of the gun, commended the wise advice of the white man, and suggested that the proposal be agreed to, adding, however, that he knew for certain that the girl was a witch, but that the investigation would do good in the way of proving that he, the doctor, was correct, and thus the girl should perish on the following night, and the white men would be satisfied. Having announced this to the multitude, the king ordered Okandaga to be conducted back to her prison and carefully guarded. We returned to our hut, not, however, to sleep, but to consult as to what was to be done next. "'I knew that you wanted a respite for her,' said Peterkin, as we sat round our fire, "'that you might have time to consider how to act, and I backed up your request accordingly. "'But now, I confess, I'm a very much of a loss as what to suggest.' It seems to me we have only purchased a brief delay. True, answered Jack. The delay is not so brief, however, but that we may plan some method of getting the poor girl out of this scrape. What say you, Mac? If you no can tink pon something, I give up all the hope, replied our guide sorrowfully. Come, Mac, cheer up, cried Peterkin. If the worst comes to the worst, you can, at any rate, fight for your bride. Fight! exclaimed the negro, displaying his white teeth like a mastiff, rolling his eyes and clenching his fists convulsively. Then, in a calmer tone, he continued, I, me can fight. Me could kill all de guards and take Okandaga by the hand, and run through de bushes forever. But guards no die without hollering and yelling like de gorilla, and nigger mans can run faster than womans. 
no no dat am dum possible nothing's dumpa possible to brave hearts and stout arms replied jack there are only four guards put over her i believe well there are just four of us not that we require to be equal by any means peterkin and i could settle them easily but we require to be equal in numbers in order to do it quietly i have a plan in my head but there's one hitch of it that i cannot unravel and what may that be i asked why i don't see how after getting clear off with okandaga we are to avoid being pursued on suspicion and captured there is one cave remarked the guide not far off to here perhaps we be safe if we get into him but i fraid it not do cause him to be peopled by fiends and dead men's spirits that's a grave objection said peterkin laughing yes and de tribe neber go near dere dey is most dreadful terrified to be cotched dere then that will just do cried jack with animation the very thing and now i'll tell you what my plan is to-morrow morning early we will tell the king that we wish to be off at once that we have put off too much time already and wish to make no further delay then we'll pack up and start that night we will encamp in a quiet out-of-the-way part of the woods and slip back to the village in the dark short time before midnight the whole village will at that time be assembled probably at the spot where the execution is to take place so we can rush in overpower the guard free okandaga and make our escape to the cave where they will never think of looking for us peterkin shook his head there are two difficulties in your plan jack first what if the natives are not assembled in the place of execution and we find it impossible to make our entrance into or exit from the village quietly i propose replied jack that we shall undress ourselves rub ourselves entirely over with charcoal and grease so that they shall not recognize us dash in and carry the girl off by a coup de main in which case it will of course be neck or nothing and a tremendous race to the cave where if they follow us we will keep them at bay with our rifles umph dashing no doubt but risky said peterkin extremely risky yet it's worth trying well my second difficulty is what if they don't stick to their promise after we quit and kill the poor thing before midnight we must take our chance at that but i shall put the king on his honour before leaving and say that i will make particular inquiry into the way in which the trial has been conducted on my return put the king on his honour observed peterkin i'm afraid that you'll put his majesty on an extremely unstable foundation however i see nothing better that can be done have you any more difficulties yes said i there is one other what do you propose to do with the men who are to be supplied to us by the king during these extremely delicate and difficult manoeuvres the countenances of my comrades fell at this question. "'I never thought of them,' said Jack. "'Nor I,' said Peterkin. Macaruru groaned. "'Well,' said I, "'if you will allow me to suggest, I would recommend that we should, towards the close of the day, send them on ahead of us and bid them encamp at a certain place, saying that we shall spend the night in hunting and return to them in the morning.' "'The very thing,' said Jack, now comrades to rest i will occupy myself until i fall asleep in maturing my plans and thinking out the details do you the same and if anything should occur to you let us consult over it in the morning we were all glad to agree to this 
being wearied more perhaps by excitement than want of rest so bidding each other good-night we lay down side by side to meditate and for my part to dream of the difficult and dangerous work that awaited us on the morrow End of chapter six recording by adele de